Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Hey again, welcome to Cross Creek. It's good to see you guys. If you're watching online, thank you so much for watching. My name's John. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm going to get out of Aaron's way. No, that's okay. That's what we get for not having a video made for this series. You guys are really tall. That one is. Yeah. Hey, Pat, thanks for playing. That was awesome. Hey, and you know why Pat is playing with our band or why Pat is part of our band? It's because he said, hey, you know what? I have this skill. I have this ability. Can it be you? Is there room for me? And we said, absolutely, there's room for you. And that's what I'm saying to all of you. There is room for you. If you're like, you know what? I want to be a part of what Cross Creek is doing. There is room for you. You don't have to just like, come and sit. You actually get to be a part of it if you want to. And on your Connect card in the front of your, in the seat thing in front of you, you can actually say, hey, I want to join a team. And we can get information to you on joining a team and being a part of Cross Creek. You can even do that online. In fact, there are teams you can be on even if you've never sat in one of these seats and you're online. So I'm talking to you. No, not me. Yes, you. Hey, uh, anyway, it's good to see you guys, and uh, today is a really exciting day for me, um, and that's really what matters because I have the microphone, but I want to share with you that today is pretty close, it's not the exact day, but it's pretty close to the one-year anniversary of one of the best days of my life. I'd probably put it up in the top five, maybe top ten, but probably top five. I want to show you pictures from one of the best days of my life, right here. That's my wife, Liz, and that's me. What Liz is holding there is the very last diaper we ever put on one of our kids. Yes. And what I'm doing over there is throwing away our diaper pail. Yes, if you've had kids, you understand how much of a great day that was. If you're not having kids yet, don't, the diaper thing is not that bad, guys. I'm just kidding. It's as bad as you can imagine especially blowouts. Yeah, especially when they get on solid food and it's a blowout. Yeah, welcome to Cross Creek. That's the kind of stuff we talk about here. <laughs> but I mean, where do you even start with that type of mess? Right, like what do you, there's no like handbook on, okay, first you start here, then you do, no, there, you just, like where do you even start with a mess like that? And you know, maybe it's, Maybe you've experienced messes, right? Maybe it's not a blowout. Probably, you know, moms and dads, you've, you've experienced that on your way to, you know, the movie. You're not taking a kid to the movies, but on the way to dinner or something, and you're like, oh, well, that outfit's ruined. But other messes. You ever spill a can of paint somewhere? Yeah. One of you will admit it. Good for you. <laughs> or you've been making a big batch of salsa or something. It just falls all over the kitchen and there's sauce everywhere, or there's paint everywhere. Where, where do you even start 
with a mess like that? What do you do? Well, basically, all you can do is pick a spot and get started, right? Pick a spot and just start cleaning. I mean, just staring at it, crying about it's not going to help. Say, honey, there's another blowout. It's not going to help in the long run. <laughs> Trust me on that one. So we have these messes, and we just have to pick a spot to start and start cleaning. Now, those are actually the easy messes because we have other messes in our life, don't we? Our relationships can be a mess, maybe with our extended family, maybe with our spouse, our significant other, our kids, young or old. Maybe we have a mess at work that we keep having to deal with every single time we go to work. Or our neighbors, there's a mess in that relationship. Maybe we're in a financial mess. By the way, if you're in a financial mess, we have a class for you at 6.30 on Wednesday. You can come to the first one for free. Financial mess. Maybe a legal mess. All right, we get into legal messes. Where do you start with that kind of mess? Where do you begin? And all these messes, these, you know, these relationship, financial, legal messes, really a result of what we talked about last week when we kicked off our Discovering God series, where we said, you know what? Often what we think we know about God actually gets in our way of discovering who God is. And what we saw last week was that God created everything, the entire universe, perfect. Created perfect for us, for humanity. Every time he created something, he said, this is good. And it wasn't like he was checking his work and saying like, okay, phew, it was good. He's saying it was good for the humans he was going to create. But those humans didn't trust that God had given them everything they needed. And so they made a huge mess of everything, trying to take control of their own lives, trying to do things their own way. They made a huge mess of the entire world by bringing sin into the world. And here's why sin is such a problem, and we won't camp on sin too much today, so you're safe. You don't have to go to Facebook yet. The problem with sin is it separates us. Sin separates us from each other. It creates shame. We don't really want people to really know who we are because the shame that we have from sin. And it separates us from God. It makes us think that, you know, we're not good enough to be loved by God because we've made too big of a mess of our lives. And so we have these messes, and then we try to fix it. Right? We're like, okay, well, you know, my friend told me I should do this, so I'm going to try that. And we, we try to fix our messes, and when we try to fix our messes, really what happens is what happened here. At least once a year, I like to bring in some of my Kevin's famous chili. The trick is to undercook the onions. Everybody is going to get to know each other in the pot. I'm serious about this stuff. I'm up the night before pressing garlic and dicing whole tomatoes. I toast my own ancho chilies. It's a recipe passed down from Malone's for generations. It's probably the thing I do best. So, when we try to fix our own messes, it just gets worse and worse. And worse, like, oh, I know what to do. I'll, I'll, I'll grab the clipboard and scoop it back in. Right? In fact, the more we try to fix our own mess, the dirtier, the messier we get, the worse of a situation it becomes. In fact, trying to fix the mess of sin just makes it worse. The way we usually try to fix our mess of sin usually makes the whole situation 
worse. We end up hurting more people. We end up having expectations that don't, that don't follow through, and we end up disappointed and even more upset and more let down. just makes it worse. And so we need help. We need help fixing our mess, which is why when Adam and Eve made that mess of sin and God's saying, hey, here's what's happening because of it, God didn't abandon them and say, hey, you got yourselves into this. You chose to rebel. Now get yourself out of it. He knew that wasn't possible. He knew that was, he knew that was impossible. And so he promised to wade in, hip deep, into the mess humanity had created and fix it. He promised that someone would come and destroy the effects of sin and restore the relationship between God and humanity that that God had intended from the beginning of time. And so with a mess like that, with a mess like sin and humanity and rebellion, where does God start? Well, he picks a spot and he gets to work. And the thing is, he picks one of the messiest chapters in human history to start working. It's, it's not a, an era I would have chosen. He actually picks the me, probably the messiest age, ancient Bronze Age Mesopotamia. Exactly. As you all know from middle school history, it was the worst. It was the worst of times, and it was the worst of times. So he picks a spot. And in this culture, this worldview, they were very polytheistic. They had many gods. And each region, each tribe, each nation worshipped their own god. Right? You, can, you can think back, not this isn't Bronze Age Mesopotamia, but you think to like ancient Greece. Right? And Athens had Athena, and that was their goddess that they worshipped. And each, each people group kind of had their own god or set of gods that they would worship, that they would... Um, that they would follow, that they would say, this is the God of the Sumerians. And they'd worship that God, sometimes in brutal ways, like child sacrifice and that type of thing. And it's this religious culture, this worldview, that God decided to start cleaning up the mess. And so he decided he, he, would, he would leverage this worldview, this cultural norm of having national gods, he would leverage it and create his own nation his own people group, a group that would display his love and his character to the world. And so to start a new nation, he needed to start a new family. And in this type of culture, this brutal world, lifespans super short, who would you choose to start your nation? To be a nation builder, to be the father of God's nation? I'd pick a hero, right? Somebody a little bit taller than me, probably, as chiseled, (laughs) strong, young, charismatic. That's who I would pick. God starts with some 75-year-old unknown dude. Nothing against 75-year-old dudes, (laughs) by the way. So he starts with some 75-year-old dude, his 65-year-old wife who couldn't have kids. He starts with them to build his nation. The guy's name was Abram. And he actually takes him on a 25, a slow journey of becoming this father of a nation, 25-year journey. But what we're going to see in this journey, we're going to look at it tonight, see how God started this nation and how he started to wade in to fix the mess. We're going to discover that discovering God begins with a relationship. Discovering God begins 
with a relationship. So often we think we need to know about God. We need to understand the right things, understand the right theology and all that kind of... What we're going to see is discovering God begins with a relationship. And so we're going to dive right in to the first book of the Bible. It's kind of a historical book. It was uh, God wanted to introduce himself to his new nation after they had escaped Egypt. And he had Moses say, hey, this is what I want you to tell my people I'm like. Tell them about me. And so he wrote the book of Genesis. And so we're going to read Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have a phone, you can type there. If you have enough internet, internet here. Or you can just read it on the screen because we're going to have it with you. So let's, let's read this, this first section. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Wasn't that captivating? It's a joke. But let's, let's look at that first verse again. There's something interesting there, that if you, if you just read it, or maybe you grew up in the church and you know this story of Father Abraham, that type of thing, maybe you've you kind of rushed through this and haven't caught something that I think is so interesting. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Why did God choose Abram? What in that sentence, this is the first time we've seen that name Abram, Within the, uh, the story, I mean, it says his father was, his father was, that type of thing. We see Abram. But this is the first time we see God talking to Abram. Why did God choose Abram? Because he wanted to. Because he wa- There is nothing that we see about Abram that makes him special. There is nothing we see that he did to earn this huge honor of starting God's nation, God's people. There was, there was, there's no sentence like, now Abram was a righteous man in God's eyes. And so God said to Abram, there's none of that. All of a sudden, out of the blue, the Lord said to Abram, no special feat he had done to impress God. In fact, Abram didn't even ask for it. God simply chose to pick Abram because he wanted to. God made the first move. Abram didn't even ask for it. Like I said, God made the first move in this relationship. God made the first move with Abram. It's how he always starts a relationship. God pursues us and always makes the first move. God always makes the first move. He's always the one to take that awkward step and say, hey, how you doing? Remember me? Maybe you've heard of me. Enjoy that uh, sunset yesterday. He's always the one to make the first move. He pursues us. And so God makes the first move. He initiates this relationship in a way we would never expect. See, here's what we would expect God to do when he's initiating this relationship, when he's saying, hey, you're going you're gonna to be my guy to start this nation. We would expect him to say, hey, Abram, I'm picking you. You're going to be my guy. But first, here, here's what I'm going to need you to do. And that's not what happens. Let's read verse 2 and 3 again. I will make you, so he picks Abram and he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. By the way, 
Show of hands, who, have, who has heard of Abram, or Abraham as his name becomes, before you stepped in here today? How many of you have heard of Abraham before? Isn't that weird? He's, you know, he's, he's the main, one of the main guys in three major world religions. That's fulfillment of God's promise right there. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God says, Abram, I'm picking you to start my nation. I will give you land. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. You will be one of the most famous people in history. And because of the offspring I give you, all of humanity will be blessed. The entire race of humankind will be better because of what I'm going to do for you. Now again, what did Abram do? What did he have to do to earn this or deserve this? Nothing. He did nothing to earn it. He did nothing to deserve it. It wasn't, Abram, look, you're going to be my guy, but here's what I'm going to need you to do first. Or here's, you know what, Abram? You're, you're pretty cool, but you know, you come from this idol worshiping. Here's what I'm going to need you to stop doing. Okay? Once people hear that you know, you're my guy, you're going to need to stop doing this. Or you, know what, you need to start doing this, and then you know, maybe we can have a relationship. There's none of that. There's no, hey, Abram, now I want you to be my guy, but here's a list of, of 10 rules I need you to follow before I can bless you. It's not that. In fact, there weren't a, even any rules yet. This is hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments existed. There was nothing he had to do to earn it. See, because God bases his relationships on his promises, not rules. God bases his relationships on his promises. He doesn't base relationships on rules. And if you're following them, or if you agree to follow them. But isn't that weird? We always feel like it's the other way around, don't we? You know, we think before God will pursue us, before God will want us, or before God will give us anything, we need to clean ourselves up first, make ourselves presentable for God. You know, do something for him first. Buy a motorcycle. <laughs> Give it to your pastor. But unfortunately, you don't have to do that. And so, so Abr Abram says, hey, that's a good deal, God. He goes. And everything's perfect and his life is great and, you know, he's God's guy for, from then on. That's not how it worked. See, it isn't all rosy and happy afterward. In fact, a lot of stuff and things happen to him as he goes on. He gets in trouble in Egypt. Sarah, or Sarai at that point, his wife, very good-looking 65-year-old woman. Pharaoh's like, hey, I like her. I want to marry her. And Abram, being the brave man he is, says, oh yeah, she's my sister. You can have her. God had promised that they would have a nation. They would birth a nation together. God gets Abram out of that. Then he, uh, you know, he moves on. His nephew Lot has been traveling with him. Lot sees some land for his flocks and his sheep and his goats and all that kind of stuff. And he says, hey, Abram, thanks for you know, protecting me, helping raise me and all that. I'm going to go off on my own way. And Lot deserts him. But then Lot gets caught up in some uh, ancient territorial war and he and his family get captured. So Abram actually goes and fights a brutal Bronze Age battle to rescue his nephew Lot. 
And after all of this and journeying, he is a nomad. He, he slept in tents. He, he lived with goats and sheep. He's just fought this brutal Bronze Age battle. If you can just imagine what that would in, encompass. He's over 75. He's probably exhausted. He's old. I mean, he's mature. He has no secure home. He has no, no kids, no family. He definitely doesn't feel very blessed at this point. And here's what God says. After this, this is after that Bronze Age battle I told you about. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram's feeling exhausted, defeated, tired. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. You ever been through a rough time, felt kind of depressed, or uh, life's just not going the way you want it to, and somebody with good intention says, well, you didn't need that. All you need is Jesus. All you need is God. Didn't that make you feel better? Isn't that interesting? It doesn't. It's kind of like that's what's happening here in a way. Do not be afraid, Abram. Yeah, you don't have anything good that you wanted. Yeah, you know, it's, you're almost 80 you had to fight this battle, you're hurting. Don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. So Abram, being a normal human being, said, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, at least he's, he's respectful, what can you give me? Like, that's nice and all, but what, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. That was his servant. And Abram said, you have given me no children. This promise of a nation, I have no kids. When I die, it's not going to go to my offspring, it's going to go to my servant. You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Like, God, I get it. Thank you for picking me and blessing me. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. But my wife and I aren't getting any younger. It's a dangerous world. I want to believe you. But where's the evidence? Where's the proof that I can trust you? Where's, how, how do I even believe this promise? God answers. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He, God, took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring God said, you know, I, I know it might seem crazy. I know you're not seeing a lot of proof, but you will have the son I promised you. Your offspring is the one I promised that would come and fix the mess of sin. So Abram has a choice to make. Believe God and his promise or believe his feelings. Believe his immediate circumstances. Believe what he can see. I mean, Abram, Abram was no dummy. He knew he and his wife were well beyond the age to be able to conceive. But despite his feelings, despite his circumstances, God told him to trust. To trust that, God said, trust me that I can be trusted. He chose to trust God. He chose to trust that God would keep his promise. He said, all right, I don't have proof right now. I can't see it. I don't see it all working out. You haven't lined everything up for me, but you said you are with me. You gave me this promise. 
I am choosing, it was a choice, I am choosing that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. And then something happened. Something that is so crucial that if we miss this point, we will never, ever truly discover who God is. If you've ever wondered, what does God want from me? If you've ever asked, how can I feel at peace with God? How can I know I am good with him? How can I know God is happy with me? If you want to truly discover who God is, this next verse we're going to read is so important. In fact, it's, it's so important, but it's so simple. It's so simple that almost every, actually every major world religion has missed it. Even at times, Christianity has missed this simple, profound, crucial idea. Missing this verse might be what turned you off from church in the first place. Someone missing this verse might be why you haven't been to church in so long, you were so nervous to come in here, why you don't even really want to step foot in a building, but you're willing to watch online. This is the crucial verse in discovering God. Now, before I read it, I want you to remember, this is hundreds of years, like I said, hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments. Hundreds of years before there was any written scripture, before there was a the Bible to tell him what to do. And here's the crucial verse. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord, trusted. Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, credited it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed God. Abram chose to trust God. And in that moment, because of one single choice, God declared him righteous. 100% righteous. Meaning, God gave him his stamp of approval. Meaning, God canceled Abram's debt of sin. Meaning, God gave him a perfect standing with him. When God saw Abram, he saw perfect. He saw sinless. He saw righteous. God said, everything you've done and will do is forgiven because you chose to trust me. You now have peace with God from now till eternity because you chose to trust me. Abram had peace with God because he chose to trust God. And that is the most important point in discovering God. Peace with God comes from a single act of trust. Peace with God comes from one single act of trust. And Abram trusted God. And God changed his name from Abram, which means exalted father, which was probably embarrassing for this guy who didn't have any kids. Changed it to Abraham, meaning father of many. You will be the father of this nation. Now, see, it wasn't all sunshine and roses after that either, after God declared him righteous. He still had to wait. He still messed up a lot. He still made a lot of big messes trying to hurry God along. His trust was rarely perfect. He still had a lot to learn about God. He still had just a lot to learn about life. But God never went back on his promise. Eventually, 
Abraham and Sarah did have a son, Isaac, and through him came the Jewish nation. Even when Abraham, listen, even when Abraham doubted God, even when Abraham tried to take matters into his own hands and try to rush God's plan along, God remembered his promise. God remembered Abraham's single act of trust that gave him forever peace with God. God still does the same thing. He still acts the same way. He's still the same God. See, we live in a mess sin has created. We feel it all around us. The mess we were born into. Messes we have made. The messes others have made that we have to live in. And we want to clean it up. And so we try to fix it. Try to find different ways to clean up this mess or maybe ignore the mess or maybe numb the mess. And we make things so complicated and so much messier. That's why there's so many religions in the world, so many philosophies of life. We're all trying to, in our own way, fix this mess. And we make it so complicated. We make it so hard, so difficult. And God says, it's simple. It's easy. Just trust me. Just trust me. I love you, and I want a relationship with you. Sin has ruined that. It has separated us. You feel that separation. But I fixed it. I fixed it by sending Jesus to die in your place, to take your guilt and to pay for it on the cross. And he conquered the ultimate separation, the ultimate result of sin. He conquered death by rising again. And all you have to do to have new life, to have a perfect relationship with me now and forever, God says, all you have to do is trust me. Choose to trust me. But we say, that's too easy. Just trust you? I mean, like, where's, where's the chart that says how much trust I need? That, that's too easy. No, I have to earn it, right? Either I, I have to feel extra bad about those things you died for. I need to feel really bad about that. You know, I, I, I need to say the right prayers at the right time, the right amount of times. I need to give just enough money. I need to do everything I can just to squeak by. And then maybe I'll be okay. And God says, it's not that hard. Just trust me. No, 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 God, you're mad at me. I know it. No, I've, I died to forgive. No, you're mad. I can't believe how judgmental you are. Stop judging me, God. I died so you wouldn't be judged. Just trust me, he says. We feel like we have to perform at some level that he never asked us to perform at in the first place. Many of you, many of us, probably experienced this when either when we were younger and we grew up maybe knowing who Jesus was, or when we first started thinking about God in this way. God pursued you. He pursued a relationship with you. And at that point in your life, you were open to it, and you, were, you just simply trusted him. It made sense. You just, you just trusted and said, yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. But then life got complicated. Maybe you grew up. Maybe something happened to you. People hurt you. You made choices 
that you knew weren't loving to God, weren't loving to others, and you felt like now he's mad at you. What was so simple is now a total mess. Maybe you had doubts, and you had questions, and you, you either didn't find good answers, or you were shut down and not even allowed to ask those questions, feeling like your doubts and your questions were somehow against God. And so because of what you were taught or what, what you thought you knew about God, you either gave up on having a relationship with him. You gave up on ever having a relationship with him. Either you, you got really good, so either you gave up or you got really good at hiding it and kind of just going through the motions or you just walked away. Or you're still trying to earn it. You're still trying to make him happy by giving him, you know, little gifts of goodness to make up for that, that badness. And now it seems like everything is a mess. And you can't fix it. And to top it off, it feels like God is punishing you because of what you did. He has abandoned you. Or he's just angry with you or annoyed with you all the time. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe that's why you're watching online or listening to this podcast. You're trying in some way to get back with God. You're trying to figure it out. How can I make up for this? How can I get rid of this separation? Listen, it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. In fact, I have a note in my office when I'm studying and writing messages. I have it right. It's not that complicated. We try to make it all these different things that we have to do to discover God. It's not that complicated. God is pursuing you. He is only asking that you trust him. Imagine with me, if you will, you're out on a sailing ship. And it's just you and your ship. If you like water, that sounds great. If you're like me, that sounds terrifying. But you're loving it. It's great. Smell the sea salt. It's you and the waves. You're one with the ocean. And a storm comes up. And it's more than you can handle. Especially if you're like me. And the waves crash and smash your boat, your only safety, to smithereens. And you're left in that storm, hanging on to a piece of wood, trying desperately to stay afloat. Big mess of boat around you. Now you had one of those, I don't even know what they're called, one of those mechanic, you know, beeper things, beacons, and the Coast Guard comes to rescue you. And, and, and the ship comes up, and, and the trained Coast Guard says, hey, we're throwing you a life ring. Hang on to it, and we'll pull you to safety. And they throw it to you, and it lands perfectly right there. And they say, hey, let go, and just grab that life ring. And you say, no, that's too easy. No, you threw it. For, I have to earn it. I have to do it. My, I have to feel really dumb about this boat situation. I mean, what are people going to say? if I have to hang on to a life ring. How embarrassing. No thanks, I'll swim myself. I'll swim to shore. You're hundreds of miles, hundreds of knots <laughs> away from land. Sure, you could start swimming. And maybe you are a better swimmer than others. Maybe you are the best swimmer. Maybe you make Michael Phelps look like a rock. No matter how good of a swimmer you are, 
you will still drown. No matter how much you can do on your own, it is still too far for you to swim to safety. You will not make it on your own. So do we say, hey, lifeguard, or hey, Coast Guard, that's way too easy. Or do we do the simple, profound thing and choose to trust and choose to hang on to that ring and be pulled to safety? Will you trust them and let them do the work for you? See, in that situation, one single act of trust will save you. It's your choice. See, this is God's promise. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is Christianity in a nutshell. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, give all your money, serve all your time. No, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household, it's good for all of you. All any of you have to do, they're saying, is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Choose one single act of trust. Will you trust God's promise? Maybe for the first time? Will you trust God's promise or will you, con- or will you try to do it yourself? Will you trust God's promise? Will you, will you continue to rely on that promise? Maybe you have tr- maybe you made that single act of trust, but for some reason things keep s- slipping in that you feel like you need to do and you feel far from God. God's saying it's not that complicated, just trust me. Will you continue to rely on that promise? Will you say, it might sound impossibly easy, and it might not make total sense right now, and even though I still have questions, I still have questions, I am going to trust that what you say, God, is true and that you will do what you promised to do. Think about it. What if everything you thought you had to do to make God really happy isn't actually from him? What if it's so simple that we missed it even though it's been there the whole time? What if we can clear away all that complicated, all the complicated rules and all those attempts at soothing our guilt and just enjoy the relationship God is offering each of us? What if it really only takes one single act of trust? What if simply saying, I trust you, is good enough? I trust you. What if that is enough? It was enough for Abraham. And God promises that it's enough for you. Trust really is enough. Trust really is all it takes. One single act of trust. It's not that complicated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't enjoy being this mystical, dark, hidden God. But you are a God who loves your creation, wants us to know you, wants us to enjoy you, wants us to live in that love and share it with others. Show us you are real. Show us you are for us. Show us that we can trust you. Give us the courage, even though we have questions, even though we have doubts, to choose to trust you and to choose to believe that that is enough. Show us who you are this week. Show us who we can love through your love this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if 
Maybe you said, you know what? I want to choose that trust. I want, I want to make that single act of trust. Today, we can do that. Patrick will be over here to pray with you, to talk to you about that, not to, you know, pour incense on you or anything like that. We should talk to you about that. Maybe you're not ready to talk to somebody. We're cool with that. We have cards. You can say, hey, I want to make, I want to, I want to talk to somebody about that, or I, ch- I chose to trust Jesus today, and we'll get in touch with you this week. Maybe you're like, I need to think about it. That's cool too. You can email us, but we want to be a part of that decision with you. We don't want you just to get pulled in by the, by the Coast Guard, and then everybody abandoned ship, and you're left on a ship again, right? We want to be on the ship with you, kind of show you the ropes and how to, how to steer the boat and all that kind of thing. That metaphor can go on and on and on. But we want to be a part of it with you. So please, communicate with us in whatever way is comfortable for you. But I hope you have a great week. Next week, we'll do part three, talking about um, Joshua and the battle at Jericho and a very uh, special woman named Rahab. So we'll talk about that next week. But I hope you have a great week, and we will see you later. Thanks for being here.